Oh, whoa. Low seat there. Big boy. It's real Big boy low. chair. Well, good morning, mayors. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, good morning to all of you. My name is Mike Wilson. I'm the editor of the Dallas Morning News. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the <laughs> Texas Tribune Festival. Um, uh, I'm uh, instructed to let you know that this panel, uh, Big Cities, Big Challenges, in which we're going to talk about the difficulties of being a big city mayor today uh, is supported by Houston First, Texas Central, and United Healthcare. Uh, those, though these sponsors uh, underwrite the event, uh, I have not been prompted or instructed on what questions to ask. And if they had done that, I probably would have forgotten what they wanted anyway. Um, I want to just uh, say a little bit about, um, about our panelists. Uh, mayor Mike Rawlings from my city of Dallas uh, was first elected deck. Dallas's mayor uh, in 2011. Um, as mayor, he's led initiatives to increase economic development in southern Dallas, uh, a big issue for our city, and uh, initiatives to increase the city's international profile. Uh, he came to uh, the mayorship from uh, having served as chairman and managing partner of CIC Partners, uh, and also uh, having run the um, having run P the Pizza Hut company. Um, mayor Sylvester Turner of Houston. Shout out for Houston. Uh, was elected Houston's mayor in 2015. Um, served, I believe, 26 years in the Texas legislature before that. Um, and uh, he was uh, speaker pro tem on the leadership of the House Appropriations <laughs> Committee, Legislative Budget Board, uh, and many other, many other uh, forms of service and accomplishments. Um, I am going to silence my phone. People are tweeting at me, and I realize it's still on. I hope you will do the same. And um, after, we'll talk for about 45 minutes, and then we'll have uh, 15 minutes of Q&A. Uh, and afterward, uh, there is going to be a, um, uh, Houston First will host uh, the mayors and myself for a little meet and greet next door at the Texas Union Lone Star Lounge, and so you're all invited to that. So uh, again, thanks for coming, gentlemen. Uh, I, I, I'll take the uh, the prerogative of, of a Dallas newspaper editor to ask the first question to the Dallas mayor, uh, which is, Mayor, what do you think is the greatest city in Texas? <laughs> Dallas or Austin? <laughs> um, Alec, I pass. We're proud of what's happening up in Dallas these days. Very good. Very good. We are very proud. Uh, and Mayor Turner, I should give you a fair shot. Uh, best football team in Texas, uh, Houston Texans or Katy High School? <laughs> uh, it, it, well, yeah, let me just say, number six in the country, you know, University of Houston, go Cougs. Soon to be number one, you know, on his way. But uh, you know, I'm 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 kind of saddened today. I mean, the Texans lost to New England. I know so that was I'm, not pretty. No, so I'm I'm you know, on a third string quarterback. I, I'm recovering. Really? Well, we tried to. Well, you thank know. you for joining us for ESPN <laughs> Sports Reporters. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm going to turn things uh, very quickly serious, Mayors. Um, I'm turning very very quickly serious because over the summer. 
uh, both of your cities have coped with, uh, with very difficult situations involving public safety. Uh, so Mayor Rawlings, on uh, July 7th, uh, we were having a, uh, a demonstration in our city and uh, a man came uh, armed with a gun and uh, killed four city police officers and a transit officer. Uh, this happens in the context of uh, great uh, frustration and tension over uh, police treatment of minorities in particular around our country. That was the backdrop for it. Um, can you tell us about that night, where you were when you heard uh, that this had happened and how you responded? Well, it was a tough week for me because my uh, uh, mother-in-law, who had lived with us for nine years, uh, uh, passed away on July 4th. And uh, we uh, dealt with that and getting ready for the funeral and, and buried her on July 7th. So drove from back from East Texas and I had finally just decompressed a little bit. There were a lot of things happening in the city as well. And uh, turned on the Rangers game, and uh, my assistant called and said, you know, turn on the news and see what's happening. Called the chief. He told me, uh, he wasn't there yet either. He told me that two officers had been killed. And at that point, uh, I knew that we were in the midst of something that uh, was truly uh, a remarkable moment in, in the history of, of Dallas. Um, uh, got, uh, got in the car, got down there as quick as I can and uh, worked all night um, through the next, we had a prayer vigil I think at, at uh, noon the next day uh, to get uh, to deal with all the things that are happening. I really appreciate Chief Brown's partnership. Uh, we, uh, we had, we had a, uh, a good relationship before allowed us to do a lot of no-look passes and, and, uh, and, you know, work well together, and then we built it tighter. Um, you know, people said, well, how were you able to fare that way in that time? And I said, you don't get a choice when the light is shown on you. You better be walking the straight and narrow through the process, preparing for the moment, then it happens like this. And either you're there or you're not. And I think uh, much of the work that the police department had done previously in regards to training, in regards to de-escalation, in regards to dealing with protesters um, uh, really came to bear. And then the biggest um, thing that I was proud of was the, 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 the spirit and the uh, heart of our police department. I thought it was gonna turn bitter. I thought it was gonna turn angry, Mayor. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it could right. very easily. Right. And the funerals, the things that were said, mm -hmm. there was a spirit of forgiveness and, and understanding that I, that really surprised me. Well, Mayor Rawlings, let me ask you a follow-up to that. So the, the shootings that happened in our community were not the result of uh, frustration about a questionable police shooting in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, your police chief and you have received credit for having, uh, having a good record in that way. Uh, but how comfortable are you that, um, uh, that your city is, um, uh, is at ease on this point? Uh, how, how ready is our city to, uh, to erupt in frustration like Baton Rouge and so many other places that we've seen? Well, look, it, it, I, I know it's every mayor's nightmare to go through what Charlotte's going through right, right. now. I mean, it could happen. And um, we've, and historically, back in the 90s, Dallas had really some tough issues. Um, and we were kind of, uh, what's happening in America happened in Dallas back in the late 90s. Um, I think 
the, the community work, the amount of time we're doing face-to-face -face with neighborhoods, churches, leaders uh, on other issues, on education, on jobs, on these things, make it more resilient. But uh, I don't know what would happen. Um, uh, but uh, I, I know what happened at that point. I was very proud of Dallas. Mayor Turner, uh, yes. you, two days after the Dallas shootings, you had your own challenge in Houston uh, on July 9th. Uh, two Houston police officers confronted a man in the middle of the road whom they first thought was flagging them down for help, from what I understand. Uh, they said that they discovered he was uh, carrying a gun. Uh, they shot and killed this man. And there was a belief in, in the community and expressed on social media that the man was unarmed, uh, that this was an inappropriate shooting, and right. uh, it was not immediately possible to dispel that with, with anything other than your assurances. Uh, how did you deal with the days after that, and how was that situation ultimately resolved? And let me, let me, let me first uh, commend Mayor Rollins and and the Dallas Police Department and the people in Dallas on how they handled that situation. That was a tough, tough, tough situation uh, for, for Dallas. I don't think it could have been handled uh, any better uh, than the way uh, they did in Dallas. So I commend, I commend the mayor and, 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 and the police department and the people in Dallas for how they did it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, in the aftermath of that, of course, we did have the shooting. Um, and um, I was informed about it. And in fact, I was watching uh, the night news um, and, and people were um, being very outspoken about it. And they indicated this was another African-American whose arms were up, uh, unarmed, uh, shot by the police. And, um, and then looking at uh, social media on my own phone, uh, that was the narrative that was, that was quickly spreading. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to see whatever video we had. There was some video from some, some surrounding stores, but I wanted to see what we, what we had. And I looked at it, uh, and from what I saw, um, the individual did have a gun. Um, and so I issued initially a press statement um, the following day, saying I had personally reviewed it, and from what I was able to see, uh, it wasn't an unarmed situation. The individual had a gun. Um, and I issued that press statement. But the contentions continued to swell because it was on the aftermath of what was happening in Minnesota, what had happened in uh, Louisiana. Um, and there's a lot of distrust. Mm -hmm. And so on social media, the, um, there was a, still an ongoing narrative saying that the individual was unarmed, another African American, and that he did not, and he did not have a gun. Um, and there was a call to see the video. You know, the mayor has said he's seen it, we hadn't. And I met with, <clears throat> met with my executive team, uh, by the way, uh, um, and said to them, um, let's be transparent, whatever we got, and let's, let's put it out there for people to, to see. Even uh, though that would mean interrupting the DA's investigation in progress? I, talk, I called the DA mm -hmm. in Harris County, and I said to her, uh, look, it is my intent, uh, unless you can give me strong reasons, it's my intent to release the video. Um, she did voice some, some hesitation uh, and essentially said, you know, Mayor, um, you know, this could set a bad precedent. And any time this happens, you know, we, uh, we release the video. And what I indicated is that 
um, I have a city to protect and I deal with situations, one, one, I'll take it case by case, mm -hmm. but with all of what's happening across the country, with what has happened in Dallas, uh, with the community on edge, mm -hmm. with police officers having to respond to legitimate calls. I don't want another community person hurt, and I don't want police officers to be put in arm's way because there's a lack of distrust. And so I will make, and I simply said, I will make the, I'll make the decision, I'll make the call, but whatever we have, I'm going to release. So you released it. And so I released it. And, and how did that change the, the tension, the mood in the city? Well, for those who had argued that he didn't have a, have a gun, that, that argument was dispelled mm -hmm. uh, because it, it clearly indicated that he did. Uh, but what was also on the video was a voice from one of the persons in the community, uh, not the police, that said, you know, I don't know why he had this gun. And so I think the main thing is that we have to recognize that there is a lot of built up distrust mm -hmm. uh, in the community um, over, over, an, over an extended period of time. And I think it is important for us to be transparent mm -hmm. that whatever we have to put out so people can see and based on what we have, people may still question, it wasn't enough, mm -hmm. uh, it should have been more. You know, we can have that conversation, mm -hmm. but I think it's critically important uh, to remove the argument that we are not being dis transparent, that right. we are not putting everything that we have out for people to see, um, and then we'll take it step by step. Well, there was a time in cities when the response to something like this would be to send the established leadership into the community, send the pastors in, send the NCAA, NAACP leadership in to talk to folks. Does that still work? And if not, why not? Well, I mean, you can, you know, pastors are still an integral part. Other organizations are still an integral part, and that's fine. But we're also dealing with a, with what I call millennials are demanding a lot more. You know, uh, when you have social media at your, at your disposal, it's not just about sending traditional leaders and just traditional established organizations out. We still need them, but I think we also have to recognize that there's also a different uh, um, group, younger group, just like my daughter, that uh, are not necessarily tied to organized, uh, to organizations, so to speak, or to traditional elements. Uh, they are demanding more, um, and they want, they want to see results now, mm -hmm. you know, so to, to, to simply argue process to them is not enough. They want to see the results now. And that's why, from my perspective, uh, an incident like in Charlotte can happen in any city at any point of time. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, in order to, and, and I recognize that a flashpoint can occur at any point, but you have to get into these communities early. There are a lot of communities in our cities, let me just speak for the city of Houston, there are communities that have been overlooked for a long time, okay? Neighborhoods, under-resourced, neighborhood schools that are hurting, lack of economic opportunities, food deserts, no quality retail grocery stores, job opportunities are lacking, um, blue tarps on their homes from Hurricane Ice, you know, abandoned buildings, they have been like this for years and years and years. And there are a lot of built-up built frustrations. And so when an incident happens, it becomes a flashpoint, not just for that incident, but everything else is now put into place. And so that's why, as for me, I grew up in one of those neighborhoods in Acres Home. 
and I've chosen to continue to live mm -hmm. in that neighborhood. So I still live in the community in which I was born and reared. At the end of the day, I still return to Acres Home. I'm still in the hood. And, uh, and so I think it's important, in my case, I can't speak for everybody else, uh, to have some credibility mm -hmm. that when you're talking, because many of these flashpoints are occurring in areas that have been ignored, overlooked, and under-resourced for a long, long time, so and you, people are now fed up with it. You're talking about um, credibility in the community, uh, the ability to reach out, which you know, you've established right through a lifetime in Acres Homes. Mayor Rawlings, you're not from Southern Dallas. You don't live in Southern Dallas, but you've put a lot of your energy as mayor into improving conditions in Southern Dallas. Do you think that you've developed the credibility there that you'll need to bring to bear in the event something tragic or awful happens in our city? I think so. I, uh, I've been now mayor for five and a half years, and over that time, people know that um, I've been on the ground and listening to folks, and we've got programs in place, and we're making headway, and the effort is there, and there's an authenticity about it that uh, brings, uh, you, you, you can jump over there, uh, jump over that big issue. You still have, uh, uh, we also have a program in Dallas that I, I'm gonna, I've talked to the president about, and uh, Attorney General's coming to Dallas in, in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna explore, and that is community prosecutors, and it, it's about justice. And so often, um, under-resourced uh, uh, communities believe justice is coming down on them as opposed to justice is working for them. So we have community prosecutors that are working with neighbors to say what do you want in your neighborhood and how do we use the law to, to make that happen. And so programs like that, I think, are, are very helpful. I do want to back up just for a second, Mike, and talk about uh, one issue on our police and, and where we are. And, and I say this because this is a kind of a cross-jurisdictional uh, conference. Uh, we have so many people at the federal level and at the state level that believe they want to deal with this issue or they want to back the police or whatever their, their intent is. They have got to start spending money, okay? The, 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 the amount of budgets that Houston and Dallas pays on public safety is amazing, and we don't have enough money for training. We don't have enough money for body cameras. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, and we don't have enough, uh, 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 we have to short sheet the, the amount of officers we hire. If we really wanna deal with this issue, these officers need to be trained, 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 and trained again. Okay. So, who, so who do you want to get the money from? Uh, everybody. Okay, yeah. I'm going around with a hat in my hand. Okay? But thinking. it starts at the federal level. It starts at the federal level. We've got, to, we've got to put our priorities and say, is public safety a big issue? And if it is, let's spend some money. If it's not, stop talking about it. So I'm so glad you, you raised this because uh, one of the themes that I wanted to talk about is, you know, in our state, we have a conservative state legislature that's mm -hmm. concerned about the way... Uh, it's spending money, but also concerned about the way your cities are spending money, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have your own constituencies where you're dealing with, should you do a bond issue? What should the taxes be? Are you gonna be able to fill the potholes, Mayor Rawlings, and uh, deal with the, the pension gap and so forth? Uh, but are you also coming nose to nose with, uh, with a Texas legislature that wants to sort of call the shots for you from afar? And is that, is that the way it should work? Mayor Turner? 
Well, you know, I was in the legislature for a number, for a number of years, yeah. you know, uh, 20, 26. Um, quite frankly, we're all partners in this, in this deal. Um, you know, when you're dealing with underlying tensions and you won't, um, and public safety is important. Public safety is not, is not, in, a, is not in a vacuum. You have the educational system on one end and where people live in their communities. You have public safety on the other. They are all interconnected, every single one of them. You can't have uh, poor schools, underperforming schools, under-resourced schools, uh, with people living in under-sourced neighborhoods, and then want to demand that everybody just, you know, that we're going to be uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in safety. Everybody's going to be good, so to speak. One feeds the other. Mm -hmm. And when you invest, for example, in our schools, when you invest in economic opportunities, when you invest in, in, in improving neighborhoods, then I, I would argue that you're going to have a safer society. If you, if you drain resources from many of these communities, if you don't fund adequately your schools, okay, if you're not investing in your kids, uh, uh, then what do you expect on the other end? You're going to, you will get what you pay for. And, and you may assume that uh, where you live, everything is fine, you know, but sooner or later, if, you are, if we are living in cities with have and have not, the same winds that are blowing in one neighborhood are gonna soon blow into your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Or you're gonna run into people who have been ignored, overlooked, frustrated, mad, angry, because when they look at the other side of town and the other side of town looks a hell of a lot better than where they are, what do you expect? And so the best way to have a safe, thriving, developing, dynamic city or state mm -hmm. is to make sure that we don't have two worlds in our cities or two worlds in our state. Well, and so the state has to yeah. invest and the cities have to invest. Right, right. so um, there, there's, a, there's applause for that and, and that's a very reasonable case for, for you to make as a leader and you got elected on that on that case, but you're talking about a partnership with the Texas legislature, and unless I'm missing something, I wouldn't say that partnership with our cities has been the theme of life in the Texas legislature necessarily when it comes to funding. What's your view of that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's uh, um, a little bit of a dichotomy on philosophies here, and some people uh, will say it's not fair because the legislature wants the state, the federal government to get out of our, uh, the state's business, and the state needs to get out of the city's business. And I, I say, well, fair is something you go to in Dallas and get a corny dog. It's that life's not fair and you kind of move on. The question is, what is the right thing for the state to do? Um, the mayor's talked about a, a broader issue, but I'm, I, I would suggest that the job of the state is to do two things. Um, one is to make sure we're safe as best as we can, that's what we do, and grow the state. We wanna grow, we wanna be a state that grows. So to do that, you have to look at your growth engines. And when I see what is happening from an organization standpoint, I'm a business person, so I apologize using business um, organizational management. I always believe that the largest but yet most flexible and mobile business unit, I want to empower that. Because bureaucracy can work against you. Scale can work against you at some point. In our cities, between DFW and Houston, I think we're about 50% of the population. 
okay, of the state of Texas. We're the growth engines with Austin, San Antonio, and, 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 and places. So how do you, you provide the resources for, for those growth engines? That's the first thing that you have to do. Second is you have to be responsive to citizens. Government needs to be responsive to citizens. And when you take out that layer, you really build up uh, uh, um, uh, kind of a boiling pot because people want action, man. They want action in those parts of town. They want actions on our dog <laughs> issues. They want actions with our police. They don't want to wait every two years mm -hmm. and come down here and talk to legislators, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Plus, the legislation, because of gerrymandering, does not represent mm -hmm. that business unit, okay? <laughs> and so you don't have you don't have a responsive government. And I think whether you're on the right or the left, you want government that's responsive. I think we can all agree with that. And we want growth. So to me, it's like, why don't you enable that? The last point in the state of Texas, we're so big. We're not Oklahoma or uh, New Hampshire. We're a big place. And the only way we're going to grow is with a diverse offering. Mm-hmm. But we want, to, we want to attract you, and we want to attract, you know, somebody from Big Spring, mm -hmm. okay? And we want to provide that, that portfolio of products, if mm -hmm. you will. And that portfolio of products does look different from city to city. Okay. So I think strategically, the legislature, it's not a political issue. It's like, how do we enable that growth? And that's why I think the cities are so important. All right, well, you, you got me, Mayor. You, you, okay. you, know, you said you want to attract me, you got we did. me. We and, did. You, and now you got me, whether you like it or not. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, hey, let, me, let me change the subject, because I want to watch our time, but let's talk about pensions for just a second, because what could be sexier on a Saturday morning than <laughs> uh, <laughs> to talk about this issue? Uh, so, Mayor Turner, just recently you announced a, a, a plan, a pretty uh, ambitious and complex plan to close what I think is a $7.7 .7 billion? $7.7 .7 billion unfunded liability. Unfunded liability. Uh, and so um, uh, you, you, know, you, may, you might use this time to sort of make your case for it. I'd rather you didn't because that, I think people can find that on their own. What I'm kind of interested in is, my understanding is in your police and fire, you've got about a third of the firefighters and police officers eligible for retirement now. In, in the city of Houston, we have, city we, have Houston. Pro, we have approximately 5,200 police officers, mm -hmm. and roughly 1,900 of them are eligible to retire okay. today. All right, so you have the better, better statistics. So uh, let's assume that uh, the, your pension plan goes through and everything's fine. Right. Uh, but let's assume that there's some snags and you get some police officers, some firefighters, a little squirrely about whether they're going to be able to get what they need and they start to retire quickly. Are, does this, is this something that keeps you up a little bit, that am I going to have enough people on the fire trucks and have enough police officers on the street? Well, but we've, we factored that in at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The plan that I'm putting forth comes forth with the support of police and municipal workers. Uh, and the numbers that we are using are numbers that have come from the firefighters. I've been working with, the, uh, with all three groups over the last seven months. If you try to put forth something that they uh, do not accept, that they don't feel a part of it, they're not one of the stakeholders at the table, mm -hmm. yes, you're gonna have a problem and they're gonna run to the door. Mm -hmm. But for the last seven months, I have worked with them and basically said, look, for 26 years in the legislature, I have been a friend, not a foe. But I'm here as a friend to tell you that the system on which we're operating is not sustainable. And we can work it together or we can have somebody else like the legislature impose something on us. And I'm not here to ask you for a penny more than what, I, what we need 
for the city of Houston and to give a, a, a sound re, um, retirement system for police, for fire, and municipal workers. Mm -hmm. And so the plan that I put forth last, last week comes with the full support, in this case, of police and municipal workers. The firefighters, we agree on the numbers. We just are disagreeing on a concept. Mm -hmm. But everything else, we're in agreement with. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I'm looking at the numbers now in terms of retirement, those numbers haven't spiked up. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And it's a, not only a short-term, it's a long-term plan. Mm -hmm. Where firefighters and police officers and municipal workers, and once this plan is inked, they will reduce that unfunded liability from day one by a third. Mm -hmm. And it's a closed amortization system where it, you're not uh, paying for it for the next 40, 50, and you, it, no end in sight, but it's a closed system where they're reducing the discount rate and where we're putting in a mechanism where we can control the cost five, 10, 15 years down the road. But they have been at the table mm -hmm. and, and they stood with me. Police and municipal workers mm -hmm. stood with me when this plan was announced, mm -hmm. along with people from the business community, city council members, uh, legislators who have filed pension bills in the past, uh, stood with me on last week. Right. And it's my hope as we finish out the details that we are presented to the legislature and, and people like Senator Royce West, who's in the audience and others, will, from Dallas, you know, and, and others will be supportive of Very this good. system. But it's a plan that works for the city of Houston, okay. and I think it will put us on a course for financial stability moving down the road. All right, I appreciate that. Let's talk about where you are in Dallas, Mayor Rawlings. We've been talking about having a, a bond issue in Dallas in 2017. Recently, you've expressed interest in pushing it back maybe towards the fall. There's a lot of pressure on that bond issue to solve a lot of different problems. What's your, what's your best hope? If everything goes just the way you'd like, how would that shake out? That's different than how it's actually going to shake yes, out. Yes, sir. You understand yeah. that? So, um, no, we've got, this, we've got a pension issue as well, and uh, we're in $3 billion in the hole for our police and fire. We've taken care of, we're, we're on the, on the uh, election, this fall will be the employees, and I think we've taken care of that issue. Um, the police and fire, I would like to figure that out through this, uh, this fall, come up with a partnership, go to the legislature, get, uh, uh, get uh, approval of that, and then start to deal with some of the issues we've got. My city council, I think, wants to get on with those projects, so that's probably what's gonna happen. I'm, I'm in the minority of that. It's just we're talking about such big numbers that I want to make sure of where all the big numbers are before we start spending the money. We're in a rock and a hard place on this pension stuff. I mean, I know it's a boring subject, okay? But this is one of the great um, misinformation decisions <laughs> that, that has been made in the last you know, 30 or 40 years in the state of Texas. I mean, here, for Dallas, we, the legislature gave the right for police and fire to control the board and vote in all the benefits they wanted. The citizens funded all those things. The police and fire make bad investments. And then the pension says the citizens need to come up with more money. We are not legally responsible, we don't believe. But if we say go pound sand, this who, who, the citizens suffer. And we want a great police and fire, and I support them. And it's the officers that voted themselves the benefits that have retired. Mm -hmm. 
And so how do we restructure this thing fundamentally from a governance standpoint, from um, a benefit standpoint? I mean, the colas that were put out there, the benefits for the, the drop accounts, uh, any investor would have never approved that. And so it's amazing that the state is so conservative, but has allowed this to happen. That's one of the enigmas of, of the, the state city thing, because the state has the power to institute these things and sometimes put the job, uh, the, the, uh, the responsibility back on the citizens of Dallas. Great, I'd, I'd love to hear some questions along those lines. There may be people in the audience with different views. So when we get to that, uh, uh, we'll see what ha people have to say. I wanted to turn just for a minute to, to each of your uh, influences and uh, sort of uh, personal background. Uh, Mayor Turner, some people may not know about your uh, your, your upbringing, you're um, uh, born and raised, I believe, in Acres Homes in, in Houston. Uh, grew up, according to your bio, one of nine children in your family? Yes. yes sir. Uh, your, your, your father, according to your bio, was a painter, your mother a, a maid. Your dad died when you were 13 years old. Um, you, you were raised in a two-bedroom home, and I'd like to hear how that worked when you have a minute. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, your mom, though she did not drive, and, and hadn't completed her college, ed, her high school education, uh, uh, encouraged you to strive and achieve. And I wonder how those experiences prepared you to be the mayor of the city where you grew up. How do those? How does that upbringing, that experience, influence your approach to your work? Uh, in large part, it was because my mom and dad uh, raised all nine of their kids to believe as though. Um, uh, we were just as important as the kids who lived in River Oaks or Memorial or Tanglewood in the city of Houston, that we were just as good. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't know I was, I was poor until people told me I was poor. I mean, I mean to be honest with you, um, it was only when folk told us what we didn't have is when I realized we didn't, you know, didn't have it. But um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I grew up in, 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 in Acres Home. We say the fofo, you know, grew up there. And uh, um, um, my dad died with cancer when I was 13. So my mom was the CEO of the Turner household, raising nine kids. <laughs> and she deserves to be called a CEO. Mm -hmm. um, and she worked as a, as a maid at the old Rice Hotel. But, and when times got rough and we went to her and asked her for certain things and she said no, my mom was coming with her famous phrase was, uh, sorry, but tomorrow will be better than today. Just stay at it, keep going. Tomorrow will be better than today. Um, the focus was on education uh, and, doing your, and doing your very best, but not feeling as though you were any less than, than anybody else. And that was, and that was the attitude. Um, never learned, I didn't learn how to drive until I got on the campus of University of Houston uh, in the debate program. And we had a, there was a debate tournament and the debate coach um, said, you know, Sylvester, go to the airport and pick these guys up coming in from the University of Chicago, and here are my keys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that's, that was your introduction to, and to driving. And that's, and that's a true story. And, and, yeah. and he said, um, you know, go pick them up. And I looked, at the, I looked at the keys, I saw his car, and I said, oh, what the hell? You know. <laughs> so. And I did it, but the, but the point is, um, you know, I'm the same kid that took the bus downtown and walked down the streets downtown and looked at the tall buildings and said, mm -hmm. one of these days I want to be in, in those buildings. 
So, um, you know, there are challenges, you know, yep. and, but we've all overcome, you know, not all of us, but you, you, you try to learn how to overcome those challenges and you don't forget from what you have come. And that's why for me, um, you know, living in that same neighborhood and being where I am today, uh, hopefully says to other kids in similar situations that uh, you can do it as you can do it as well. All right. so, so I've been very fortunate. Do you have a quick story for us that'll tell us, that'll sum up who your mother was? Tell us the story about your mother. Uh, look, my mom, my mom was tough. Uh, she did not. <laughs> How tough was she? She was tough, <laughs> man. Uh, let, me, let me give you a look. My mom didn't graduate from high school, and I don't say that in a negative sense, because she did extremely well in, in, rearing, in rearing all her kids. Um, when I was, my mom signed the loan papers that enabled me to go to Harvard Law School. It was this maid who had good credit. Initially, she refused to sign them, because she said, Sylvester, I've got kids, other kids, and I don't want to lose my home. And uh, why don't you go to a school closer? And I said to her, you said I could you know, be all that the you know, good Lord wanted me to be, but I need you to sign. I don't know anybody else who, um, who has good credit and can sign the papers. She ended up signing them. Three years later, when I got ready to graduate, I asked her to come to the graduation in Cambridge, mm. Massachusetts. Fantastic. Uh, she had never flown before. Initially, she said no. Then changed her mind, went to the doctor, told him what she was going to do. She was nervous. He gave her some nerve pills. And uh, she and my two stars, she and my sister got on the plane. My sister said, and, you know, she took a nerve pill, and she was pretty much out most of the flight. And then um, when the plane was getting ready to land, uh, she looked out the window, saw the clouds, and she said to my sister, Jackie, um, we done died and gone to heaven. <laughs> And, and, she, and she said, and Jackie, you up here with me too. <laughs> and uh, my sister said, Ma, we haven't uh, died. Those are the clowns. We're getting ready to land. And my mom grabbed the purse, took another one of the nerve pills, and pretty much was out again. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, but, uh, but she was there. She was strong. Mm -hmm. She was independent. Yep. She, didn't, uh, she made no excuses, and she didn't allow us to make any excuses. And, uh, and she was the driving force. Uh, for me to be where I am today. And so when people are denigrating women and don't give women, for example, the respect that they rightfully deserve, don't pay them what they rightfully deserve, mm -hmm. and when they're demeaning people who are making little or nothing as janitors or um, uh, fast food workers, um, that's when you have an issue with me. Right. I take this stuff very personally. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Mayor Rawlings, uh, you ran some big companies. Uh, they paid you a good buck to do that. You did well in business, but you didn't start that way. You came to Dallas with a couple hundred dollars in your pocket uh, to be a radio reporter. Uh, and I, I assume you did that a little while. I don't know why you left the glamorous and lucrative world of journalism, uh, honestly, but, but uh, you, know, you came and, and, you, and you made your own way. Tell me about how your journey through, uh, through your adult life and, and your work experience uh, affects the way you think about your, your job as mayor. Well, I left that business because I was no good at it, first of all. I, I got fired, and I always tell everybody, you need to be fired one time in your life. You know, it's just a good thing to, to happen to you. Um, I love the story about your mother. I mean, Thanks. my mother Thanks. was everything to me. My, it's amazing. My mother didn't get credit till after, I was probably 24 by the time she got credit because my, they wouldn't give credit to women if they were married to men, so she had no credit. My parents got divorced, and suddenly she was thrown out mm. with no credit. 
And she had to start her life over again uh, as a school teacher in, in doing that. Uh, they were both in education, so um, uh, fortunately I played football and got a football scholarship and went uh, uh, back to Boston. I was in Boston College uh, and left there because I couldn't get a job, got a job at the radio station. Got into business and um, liked what I was doing. I was in advertising. I loved the creative side. I loved problem solving and, and the like. Um, and uh, Dallas was a great place for that. It was a can-do city, and, and I just climbed a corporate lad ladder in kind of a rat race sort of world. Uh, it, it was a tough business, and, but uh, I, I, I took to it. I knew how to do that. Um, I, I always felt that it wasn't about the dollars, uh, but you know about the problems that existed. And I was brought up, my, both my grandfathers were preachers. Mm -hmm. So, to, so if everything, in fact, money was kind of evil. You know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was all about what was happening in your heart. And so I kind of, there was a sense of I needed to do something else. And when I got to a point, um, people um, decided to uh, kind of push me to do that. And I hung up the phone one day and um, uh, said, I don't want to run for mayor. I want to just relax a little bit in my life. And, but I took a moment with my son, and, and, and he was uh, in college at the time, and I said, I've been teaching you a lot of things. This is your chance to give me some coaching. And I said, don't give me advice. Tell me the question I should ask myself, whether I want to run or not, or I should run or not. And he thought for a very long time, which scares you when kids think, you know. Um, and he looked at me and said, what would the virtuous man do? And I go, oh, shoot. <laughs> I, think, I think he's calling the yeah, question everything I've talked to him. He got you. you know, that it's time to kind of give back and understand yeah. what a real public servant. But the business side has really helped me understand clear goals, the importance of metrics, uh, the importance of process and discipline, uh, the importance of people. You know, people are everything, the quality right. of people, right. making sure you surround right. yourself with that. But it's, now not everybody has to do what you say. No, but leadership is not about getting people that work for you to do what you say. Leadership is getting people to follow a vision if they don't get paid by you. Mm. I mean, that really is, is leadership because yeah, you've, got to, you've got to be a servant leader. You've got to understand what those people need and say, I've got an idea to get you what you need if we all go this direction. And, but those, it really helped me. It, it toughened me up. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, it, it, so much that I learned in business side that help, uh, helps in this because it's about solving problems. We don't have a strong mayor for former government in Dallas. Right. Would you like to be in Mayor Turner's shoes and be the chief executive? <laughs> <of Dallas? laughs> I, would, I would like a couple of things strengthened, yeah. but I think for Dallas, our history, the inclusion that, that, that we've got, okay, it's, it's a little crazy at times. Mm -hmm. But I feel that we're growing as a city because people for a couple of decades now have gotten positions that they wouldn't have only dreamed about when they were growing up. And we wouldn't have had that with another form of government. Uh, it would always be the mayor against everybody else as opposed to the mayor part of the solution. And as a leader, you've got to position yourself that way. Mayor Turner, what's going to be on the top of your list of problems to address and challenges, opportunities to address in 2017? 
Uh, well, certainly, you know, the goal is to, to get the resolution on pensions be, be, by the end of this year to just finish the details and get it approved by the legislature. So that would be that. Would be that. Uh, now in the city of Houston, um, we don't talk about complete streets anymore. Uh, we now talk about building complete neighborhoods, complete communities. Uh, I don't want to govern a city of half and half nots. Uh, so it's about identifying those communities and neighborhoods that have been ignored for a long time and concentrating on providing them with the resources, the, uh, the things that they need to improve. So that when you're coming through the city of Houston, you don't see, you don't see those two things. Um, we are a very diverse city, uh, but diversity is, an is a descriptive term. Uh, now we need to be a, the most inclusive city. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to, so people, to bring people to the table so that they can see themselves at the table of decision making. Uh, and I think we can get ahead of many of the problems uh, that, uh, that are faced in, in, in a lot of major cities. Um, so building complete communities is, is, is vitally important. Um, then at the same time, we are operating under a revenue cap that was self we self-imposed on ourselves in 2004. Uh, so, and I'm not, I'm not talking about raising property rates. We are on the revenue cap that as the city grows, mm -hmm. once we bump up, in, up against it, and we have, right. we have to lower the property rates. And so um, um, that, what I said to people in the city of Houston is once the pension issue is resolved, uh, then in November 2017, I will ask people to remove the revenue cap, mm -hmm. okay. which would really allow the city to, to thrive and to grow and to be dynamic. So, um, but my major, major, major goal is, to, is for when you come to the city of Houston, and when you drive through the city of Houston, you don't see one part of the city looking one way and another part of the city looking another way. That we are all moving positively and progressively uh, in the right direction. All right, same question to you, Mayor Rawlings. Top, top priority going forward. Um, probably a couple things. I think transportation is very important for us, or, or whether it's our streets, we've got to rebuild our streets. I really appreciate uh, what TxDOT's been doing with us. Uh, they created our commissioner, um, uh, Vandergriff, um, you know, Chairman Lewis has, has instituted a thing called City Map. You know, something yes, Houston might, that. it's a fabulous planning tool to be able to look at all this. Now I think we can attack transportation mm -hmm. uh, in the right way. Uh, but to me also the big thing, the big issue we've got and nobody talks about it enough is education. Mm -hmm. And I know education doesn't fall under our jurisdictional prudence, but as you just talked about with your life about the importance of education, the, 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 that haves and have nots is an opportunity gap, which is an education gap too. So I'm gonna continue to push for um, uh, making our schools better and better. Uh, and we've, uh, the governor's hired a great uh, commissioner of education, I think. Uh, and uh, I think hopefully we'll get some, some help there from the state. Early childhood, teachers, teachers, get the word out. Teachers, we need great teachers, okay? And uh, we've, gotta, we've gotta develop them here in the state of Texas. Every college should be turning out great teachers. We don't have enough. So those are the things that are on my um, um, bed stand that I think about when I go to bed. All right, good. Mayor Turner, Mayor Rawlings, thanks so much for, for answering these questions. Should we take a few questions Let's from the audience? Turn. Yeah. Sure. I think we have microphones in the front. Thank you, Ed. 
Mayors, thank you for being here. My name is Angelica, and I had a question directed to Sylvester Turner. Um, I'm from A-Leaf, Texas, in uh, one of the districts in Houston, and my little brother's school was recently shut down, La Amistad Academy, and I've been seeing like more high school uh, dropouts and a lot of uh, drug restrictions in our neighborhoods. Uh, so I, I've seen it improve under your leadership. What do you uh, plan on doing to continue improving um, to decrease uh, drug rates and also uh, high school dropout rates? Thank you. I didn't quite, I couldn't quite there was a little echo in the microphone oh, for us. So oh, okay. Uh, uh, so I'm from A-Leaf, Texas, and right. like my little brother's school was recently shut down, uh, La Amistad Academy, and also I, I went to A-Leaf Hastings, and there's a lot of high school dropout rates, and there's a lot of drugs in our neighborhoods. So I've seen it that it's been improving thanks to your leadership, but I also wanted to see how it's going to continue improving uh, through your leadership. Thank you. Okay. And that's... And, and it's, it's about how we're proving uh, neighborhoods and communities around our schools, dropout rate, and all of that. I agree with Mayor Rollins on the focus on education. Uh, one of the things when I came in, I, I named a, an education uh, czar, so to speak, uh, Judy Estepetch, who is a former with the school board of HISD and president of the school board, for to make the focus on, on education. The income inequality in our city, you know, in one part of the city we're doing well, but 24% of the people in the city are still working poor. So we focus in very much on trying to provide more economic and job and business opportunities uh, in order to put people in a better position to take care of themselves and their families. A lot of the schools are surrounded by buildings and others that are torn down and abandoned, so we're working to clean those, situ those things up. And then uh, about a, two months ago, I invited all 17 of the, of the school districts, superintendents uh, that, that cross the you know, um, city of Houston to meet me at the table to come up with various education initiatives where we can work collaterally uh, to improve education. I did the same thing for colleges and, and um, community colleges and universities, brought them all together as well. Uh, but we have to really improve communities and neighborhoods around the schools. Um, I started what we call um, um, a turnaround Houston for people who have dropped out, may be operating with a GED, may be uh, coming back from a Texas Department of Criminal Justice, reentry programs, where we are providing interviewing um, techniques. Uh, for those who may need clothing, we do that. We need haircut, we do that. You know, all of those, the essential items to put them in a better position to be employable. And so my mantra is, we don't leave anybody out, and everybody needs to be helped, and we'll provide the resources in a holistic way to put people in the best position to succeed. Thanks, Mayor. Mm -hmm. On this side? My name is Melanie Scruggs. I'm with Texas Campaign for the Environment down in Houston. Uh, we're seeing cities and mayors in particular taking a leading role on sustainability issues for a variety of reasons. It's about quality of life. It's about public health. It's about climate change um, and environmental justice. And one of the important issues is uh, what the EPA calls sustainable materials management, um, you know, recycling, composting. It works on many of those levels. Uh, now, I know that Dallas has a long-term solid waste plan to expand recycling and composting, and you have a zero-waste goal of diverting 85% of waste from landfills by the year 2040. Um, my question, Mayor Turner, is if Dallas can do 85% by 2040, can Houston do 90%? <laughs> well, certainly, you know, Dallas and Houston... Um, represent uh, two of the largest cities in, 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 in the state of Texas. Um, and they actually, I'm very much committed to recycling. You know, we had to, we cut, we're not recycling glass now for budgetary constraints, 
but we are now taking a very strong look at a lot of different options to come back in the next year or so with an even much more robust recycling program. And we're looking at a number of, of, of long-term things right now. Uh, I will say to you that when we come back in about a year's time, uh, that yes, I think we'll be very, very, very competitive uh, with Dallas and any other city on the face of the earth as it comes to recycling. I am very much committed to it. Sustainability is very important. The environment is very important. Uh, all of those things we need to focus on if we are going to be a great global city, and I intend for us to be a great global city, not just a great city in the state of Texas. You know, one of the things that you talk about uh, from the state and the city side is TCEQ in this whole equation, yes. and air quality, and working with in conjunction with the EPA, TCEQ, and the, the local council of governments to do the right things for air quality. We've got a lot of work to do in yeah, that. I agree. Okay. Another question on this side, please. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, my name is Leonard Chan. I must first say that the Rice Owls will score more points than the Houston Texans this week. <laughs> yeah. Who are they playing? Who are they playing? Who are you playing? My question is, what's the future of high-speed rail between Dallas and Houston? The future of high-speed well, rail. <laughs> well, we will get through this legislative session, okay, and see. Uh, but if everybody applauds, goes down there and applauds about high-speed rail, we need you, okay? Uh, I think it is a great vision. Uh, Dallas and Houston uh, need to come together more. We learned uh, about uh, early childhood from Houston. They've got an organization called Early Matters. There's so many businesses that have business back and forth, the, the tightness of it. And to be able to get on a high-speed rail uh, in Dallas and go uh, an hour and 15 minutes, and you know, uh, hour and 20 minutes and be there, will change the dynamic of the state. It's like bringing in a, a $6 billion enterprise to the state of Texas, so huge for the state. But there are some issues that are gonna be, uh, there are some folks that uh, don't like it for some reason, and I'll uh, let them speak for themselves, but uh, for, for us as, at Dallas, it is a major growth initiative, and I think for the state as well. It may have something to do with the cost, Mayor. I just I want to give you a... Well, the cost is, is all yeah. private. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, no, funding. no, no. On the legislative side, this is a private enterprise. So I'm trying to figure out who's against this, okay? And I know there's some right-of-way issues, but it needs, we need to be honest with each other that uh, uh, we have a chance to change the way the United States does transportation between our two cities, and I want to celebrate <laughs> with the Mayor Turnover that. Yeah. I think you know, people are looking for multiple options, transportation options, I agree with Mayor Rollins. No question the high-speed train will be a plus for Dallas, it'll be a plus for Houston, but it'll be a plus for the state as a whole. And I think um, when you look at where the state is, where we're going, um, we have to look at, we have to be competitive, not just amongst one another, but on a global perspective. And I think it would represent a signature moment. It certainly would provide more of an uh, economic return for the city, more jobs will be made available, um, but um, it's, it's, it, it will be tested in this upcoming legislative session. It was tested the last time uh, when I was there, but we voted to proceed. So um, hopefully I, I, we won't miss out on the opportunity. You know, I, I support it, um, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to be optimistic, but it will face its greatest challenge in this upcoming legislative session. So if you support it, if you think it's something that the state should have, Please contact your legislators, the leadership at the state level, and encourage them not to do anything to, to block it. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Sir. 
Mayors, uh, number one, thank you. I'm Joe Cryer. I serve on the San Antonio City Council, and in that role, serve on the Police and Fire Pension Board, which is 93% funded. But we did that by paying way too much in terms of the city's contribution. My question to you, particularly you, Mayor Turner, you have a state rep in your neck of the woods who has proposed returning control over pensions from the state to the local level. We can't do anything about our pension because it's exclusively the province of the legislature. Would you all support returning control over the pensions to the cities and their councils and their constituents versus leaving it with the state? Let me, let me just say from my end, I am proposing a, a, a fix that works for the city of Houston. And what the fix that I am proposing is that all of the groups, all of the pension groups have come to the table and said, and, and we have designed a system that's not only short-term but long-term. And to keep this issue from bubbling up again, at least in the city of Houston, I have put in place what we call a corridor with a thermostat, which means that five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years, if the costs start to increase and we get above the, the maximum cap that the city will be obligated to spend, then the parties are obligated to come back to the table and you re make the necessary adjustments to stay within the corridor. With that concept in place, we need not go to the legislature anymore. The fix that we are putting in place will be a fix that Houston and the pension groups, the mayor and them, will be obligated to stay within defined limits. And with that being the case, I won't have to worry about, or the next mayor won't have to worry about going to the legislature or anybody else, but it is a, it is a fix that we, have come, that we are coming up with. All it needs is legislative ratification, and then we are fine, and we are done, and we move on. Now, that's the proposal that I put forth for the city of Houston. I would, I always like to give people choices. So to the legislature, it's one of two choices. Either give it back to the cities or be the backstop for the money. Don't let make the cities be the backstop for the money and control it. Okay? That's, that's my point of view. Thank you. I think we have time for one more. All right. Uh, thank you, mayors, for coming. And uh, Mr. Wilson, congrats on your new editor role. Um, I hope you're enjoying Dallas. Um, I hope it's a little more exciting than Tampa Bay. But um, anyway, my, my name's Adam. I live in Austin, but I listen to the ticket every day, and I enjoy eating at Ninfa's in Houston. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about uh, transportation within both of your cities. Um, you know, obviously, we have, we have <coughs> DART, um, but you know, DART is still sort of, it still takes a while to get there and I still haven't figured out how to navigate Houston. So what's you, like, what are you guys doing to build public transport, uh, to build that rail within, within both the cities of Dallas and Houston in order to make them both more connected cities, as Mayor Rollins, you put it? Yeah, I, I'm terrifically proud of what the this, this city has done over the last 30 years. We've got the largest light rail system in the, uh, um, the country. Uh, and uh, it's something that taxpayers have spent. They haven't, you know, meanwhile, businesses are going to Frisco and other places because they don't have that, that one cent tax. We're investing in that. So we have put our money where our mouth is. As, as some people may or may not know, our big issue is downtown. We've got to put another line there, so we've got to decide whether we're going to put a billion-dollar line underneath the city, the subway, or 
put it on the surface, that'll be a big question. Then filling out the bus thing. God gave us a huge city, okay? And it's expensive, so it takes a long time to get around. We just have to get better and better at that. And we're learning, the, the really direct answer to your question for us is the governance issue. We, how do we work with our suburbs and the board to make better and better decisions that are more strategic? That's the hard work we've got to do. And let me just say, in, in Houston, we made some decisions in the 90s uh, that essentially said we were going to build roadway capacity. Uh, and that's essentially what we did. We said we were committed to our cars and trucks, and so we built roads, roadway capacity. We built the 610, we built the Beltway, and then we built the Grand Parkway. We built it, and they have come, and the congestion remains. But those were decisions that were made in the 90s. Uh, now we have to design a city, not just for now, but for the future. And it requires a multimodal approach. We will continue to build roadway capacity, but we need to do so much more. HOV lanes going in both directions throughout the entire day. Uh, more commuter rail, and we're taking a look at that. Uh, light rail, but it's going to have to be public-private partnerships, so to speak, because the dollars that were available in the 90s are not available for us today. People want to be able to have a more walkable, pedestrian-friendly city, and so we're building out many more bike lanes uh, and that infrastructure. And then people want to, we have to design a city where people can walk to their destination where they want to go. And so that designing is in the process right now. And it's not just about moving people, it's about moving freight as well. Because with the opening of the Panama Canal, uh, uh, Canal and then with the, uh, with the Port of Houston, there are gonna be a lot of traffic moving back and forth. So we gotta work in, in collaboration with, with, with rail trains as well. So it has to be a much more multimodal approach uh, for us. Um, and we are a large geographical city as well, 640 square miles. So I will admit, for the city of Houston, when it comes to light rail and multiple options, we're getting off to a pretty much a late start, but we are on, we are on, we are, we are focused and we're moving forward. And then I would suggest to the Texas Department of Transportation that it has to be a paradigm shift. And it cannot just be about building roads anymore, because that is a failed model in today's city. And so, um, and, and so the paradigm has to shift and then the state has to give us the flexibility of funding so that we can engage in more initiatives. And so um, I'm a strong advocate of building out a transportation system that works and moves people efficiently from point A to point B. Mayor Turner of Houston, Mayor Rawlings of Dallas, thanks very much for your time and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.